When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. up everybody welcome to another episode of marvel standom and this week we are dealing with the fallout of the season finale of what if and it is a big one with me for all time and always i have denna geek news and features editor kirsten howard and denna geek tv editors alec bajalid and katie burt this is a big one folks it is multiverse shattering we meet the guardians of the multiverse kirsty why don't you tell us what happened in the season one finale of Marvel's What If, the Watcher intervenes with Doctor Strange's help and the Guardians of the Multiverse finally assemble. Star-Lord T'Challa, Captain Carter, Eric Killmonger, Party Prince Thor and a Thanos-slaying Gamora are all recruited for the Watcher's team, along with the last Widow standing from the penultimate episode, and they set about stopping Ultron's multiversal reign of terror. Working together, they manage to trap Killmonger and Ultron in a pocket dimension, which Strange is tasked with watching over forever lest the pair escape and cause even more carnage. Meanwhile, the Guardians are dropped back in their various universes, and in a post credits scene, it's teased that Peggy and Steve Rogers might get to reunite in Season 2. Even with all of that crazy info, that still does not cover everything that happened in this ep. This is a lot, and not only is this episode so big that... We can't sum it up in a couple of sentences, but this episode is so big that there seems to have been a missing episode somewhere along the way. Am I the only one who felt like he blacked out and like missed a whole week of his life uh, with this Gamora stuff? Yeah, I definitely paused the episode just to be like, okay, I didn't... Yeah, exactly. It's been a crazy year, so... <laughs> and there's a lot of content out there. Does anybody know what was supposed to happen there? They made a Lego set for Tony Stark and I believe Gamora on Scar. Due to the pandemic, there were only nine episodes in this season instead of the planned ten. So we are missing an episode which we presume is Gamora-centric and features uh, Gamora and Tony Stark in Sakaar. Um, hopefully we will get to see that in season two. So other than, uh, you know, the, the missing episode conundrum here, what did everybody think of the episode? I, I personally enjoyed this one, but I feel like this one might not be a, a slam dunk with everybody. It seems like a slam dunk to me. Um, I, I, I'm having a hard time imagining the hypothetical person that wouldn't appreciate the Guardians of the Multiverse battling Infinity Ultron. And I'm saying that as someone is la who last week claimed that he wanted to see infinite universes band together as a um, megazord to battle Ultron. So it, it, it fell short from those lofty standards, but I mean, it's just a great idea executed perfectly. Um, just some of our old faves from previous episodes battling this enormous Digimon creature. 
I wish that I didn't like this episode, Alex, so I could be like, I am that hypothetical person, you know, made corporeal. I don't think I liked it as much as you did. It was kind of a, I would say like middling episode. Wasn't my favorite, wasn't my least favorite. From the beginning of the season, I just really hoped that there was something tying these stories together and these worlds together. And I think it's been clear for a while now that that would happen on some level. And so to see it all come together is really rewarding. There were a few like thematic messages that I feel like this episode and therefore the season ended on that I was a little like mm, confused about or was critical of, I guess. The way that the climactic fight um, evolves, it kind of has like Zola, an actual Nazi, be presented as a kind of like solution to a problem, uh, which is both like thematically troubling, but also... (laughs) I know things are desperate, but, like, putting Zola in this, like, indestructible body that is, like, very, very powerful feels like a bold choice. Let's not forget where this ultimately ends up. It's a pretty pretty ludicrous final image for, for Zola. He's tummy Ultron. I mean, like, that is, in a way, that's an Easter egg in itself. Like, we've never seen Zola's actual comic book form on screen yet, you know? They've nodded to it with you know, in Winter Soldier and in the earlier episode of What If. And then this is the first time where it's like kind of, you know, he at least has a body and he's manifesting in Ultron's stomach. But that is the uh, that is the, the closest we've come to Zola's traditional, <laughs> completely bonkers comic book look. And also uh, the Watcher as like audience surrogate and the MCU stories are the most important thing and they're real and you should love them and protect them at all costs. It's like... Yeah, I get why an MCU story would want to make that argument, but um, I think that there are maybe more interesting um, points to make with that character. I don't, I don't know what they are, but um, yeah, that, I'm going to be thinking about that. I'll take it one step further. Not only is the ultimate point of the series, according to the Watcher, that MCU stories matter. <laughs> It's that MCU stories matter more than human yeah, lives. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of where it ended. You're like, oh, yeah, I mean, I really like that MCU. <laughs> like, One other thing I liked about this episode is um, how quickly, how, how full of shit the Watcher was this whole time. <laughs> like, he, he, takes to, like, he takes to the role of, like, a team gatherer so quickly. He is so cinematic with it. Like, he doesn't... He doesn't like turn up to these worlds and say like, "Hey, like, explain real quick. I'm a watcher and I need your help. This, that, like, there's a thing going on. Just come with me." He comes in, crosses his arms, and goes, "You have been chosen." <laughs> like, I he's just like really a ham. I instantly decided that this was going to be my new party game. Like, I just want to go up to a, a group of people and be like, uh, "Editor of TV, we're here. You have been chosen." <laughs> Chosen for what? (laughs) And then just disappear again. I think one of my problems with this episode, and this speaks to what you were just saying, Alec, is I think think doing a big team up like this, and this was cool. I really did enjoy this episode. But I think getting to this this quickly, uh, rather than letting this season be the kind of standalone vignettes that, that it seemed to be early on, having Watcher break his oath... Um, is less impactful when we still don't know why Watcher has this oath in the first place. You know, like in the comics, there's a reason that he that 
Uatu is just the Watcher, right? The MCU has not given us this information yet. So it doesn't really have any impact when he's like, well, time to break my oath. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. And not only is that information missing for us, but and lessening the impact of the uh, decision, but also the lack of the Gamora episode kind of lessens the impact of the Guardians of the Multiverse assembling in the first place, which is a shame because it's an otherwise terrific episode. It did have some, like, real flaws, but um, it was just fun to watch. And I think pretty, like, clean on a moment-to-moment level. Like, it was dense, but it wasn't crowded or confusing. Um, Although, speaking of confusing, when Thor was like, can we repeat the plan? I was like, can someone please repeat the plan for Thor? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think he's serious, guys. And they're just like, anyways, moving on. And then he just, he doesn't, he obviously doesn't know the plan when Ultron shows up. He he still has his science tattoo. That was one of, that's a fun little Easter egg. Actually, one of my favorite lines, too, was, I think, yeah, Gamora asks if, if he trusts Killmonger. And he's like, I trust everyone. I just love that as a character trait because I think it's pretty rare. So I guess now the next question is, how much of this can we possibly hope to see reflected in the live-action Marvel Universe? Because obviously we have Eternals coming, then we have Spider-Man No Way Home, which is a multiverse movie, but then we have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And I can't think of a better description of the Multiverse of Madness than what we've seen in the last two or three episodes of What If?, So, for me, I feel like the Guardians of the Multiverse are a potential reflection or or a potential version of the Illuminati from the comics, which were Reed Richards, Professor X, Doctor Strange, Namor, and T'Challa. And the idea is that they, like each of them, keep one of the Infinity Stones for safekeeping to prevent somebody like Thanos from being able to assemble them ever again. Most of those characters do not yet exist in the MCU, but I can see the Guardians of the Multiverse serving a similar purpose if needed, and it allows them to uh, bring back Haley Atwell as, uh, as a version of Peggy Carter in live action, and I would absolutely just kill to see the Captain Carter suit in live action. It would definitely give them an excuse to keep Michael B. Jordan hanging around in some capacity despite, you know, Killmonger's fate in this episode. I just wonder if we'll get a glimpse of of some of the, like, non-variant uh, versions, or the, the variant versions of, like, non-living non-present-day characters uh, in the MCU going forward. But that's just, like, a, it's a pretty loose theory, I'll admit. Yeah, I'm so torn on this because I would love to see certain characters come back. But I also am like, I don't want the MCU to ever get too like stuck in its past, you know? Um, and I think so far they've maintained a really good balance. I think like a character like Natasha, who is probably not coming back in live action for lots of reasons. <laughs> the ending here did make me wish that maybe it were possible for her to come back. That being said, she's like one of these, you know, foundational characters in the MCU who I think she's been underserved compared to the other ones, but has had her own era. It would be great to see variant versions of uh, the MCU characters in these live action movies and uh, the versions that we've the characters that we've seen in What If, but the character that I'm almost certain that we're going to see in live action 
coming out of this and having now seen the finale is the Shumagorath. Like, <laughs> I can't envision a Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness without that character popping up now. So I think that's the one that's going to live to sing another day. I would love to see them go all in on Multiverse of Madness and just make it so incomprehensible that <laughs> like a, a non-Marvel viewer who watches it just dies instantly. <laughs> nice. Now we're getting into... Um, you know, the issues with superhero universes that, like, have plagued them since they were just comic books, right? Which is the ongoing notion that these things are not welcoming to new fans because they are so obsessed with their own continuity. And I think one of the strengths of the MCU overall and one of the reasons for its runaway success, you know, it, it was completely comprehensible to and welcoming to new fans and new audiences. To the point where, you know, you were able to, you know, you were able to get into it. It was true to the spirit of the characters. You were able to kind of just like absorb everything you needed to know and just and just go with it. To the point where, personality-wise, these the the, the the MCU versions of the characters have like replaced, you know, have like completely overwritten their personalities in the comics now. But now, as we start getting more and more self-referential and we introduce more and more variants and, you know, non-sacred timelines and this and that, you know, I think, I think some people are going to start being turned off. I worry that as we go forward, we're going to start getting into situations like we had with the X-Men movies. Once they kind of rebooted the continuity, and, you know, with a, with a nonsensical timeline with X-Men First Class... Then, How dare you, Mike? Look, I, and First Class is one of the best X Men movies, but like it makes like this franchise makes no sense from that point forward, right? That is the moment when X Men movies become as incomprehensible and impenetrable as X Men comic book continuity, and I do worry that we're headed down that road with the MCU now. There's maybe another way that we can put this, and by all means, please. Let us know in the comments. Tell us on Twitter at Marvel Standom. Like we would love to hear from you. Um, do you be think angry that... about it? I'm sorry. And said, just be angry about it too. Like, <laughs> be sad about Bring it. Spicy things. <laughs> uh, but you know, do we like? You know, are there any fans that feel that the MCU is in danger of becoming too self-referential? Are we? Uh, you know, are we going to lose fans? Uh, I I'd like to know if, if this feels like a winning strategy for Marvel Studios or if, if folks would prefer that they stick to the sacred timeline. My favorite character makes a reappearance in this episode. The cape? Which is uh, the USB arrow. <laughs> I love how easy it is for Natasha to shoot <laughs> Ultron in the eye from like three football fields away, just hammering home that Hawkeye really is pointless. Also just hammering home, like, whenever Natasha shows up, I know she has some, like, tools and training, but she doesn't even have, like, I mean, she has the protection that Doctor Strange offers, but she's just really, like, always punching above, like, her weight class or whatever the boxing metaphor is. <laughs> yeah. It's oh, very really impressive. Is. Oh, are we not going to talk about how um, how how way into each other Peggy and Natasha were? <laughs> well, I, I wasn't going to bring funny. up Alec, but <laughs> I can't believe that. Like, I can't believe like I we didn't start this by going like. And anywho, <laughs> you'll never believe what happened. Yes, if you read uh, Kirstie's recap reviews of the episodes, as you all should, they have been floating the Pagat. 
Pagasha, Nategi. Um, yes. Yeah. Ship names. <laughs> but open to, to other possibilities. Chinese food is the official <laughs> food of making plans. In every single movie in which it's time to like make a plan to take down the bad guy, you always have to have chopsticks in your hands. I think the first time I noticed that was in Ghostbusters. Yes, same here. Ghostbusters for sure. Yeah, Ghostbusters, and they did it in uh, Endgame as well. How else are you supposed to make your points extra long without the chopsticks, though? It makes sense. <laughs> Looking back on the season as a whole, what was your favorite episode? I think that T'Challa-centric one really stands out to me, T'Challa as Star-Lord. I think especially as the season went on, things got a lot darker and more dystopian and higher stakes. Um, and I think that's fine, but it feels rare both in the MCU or more so just across like the pop culture landscape to have, I don't know, such a idealistic story or to center such an, like a optimistic character where things actually work out because of that idealism. Having an episode centered around Chadwick Boseman feels just even more precious now. Um, so yeah, that's definitely looking back a standout for me. Episodes three, four, and five were, was quite a run. That was um, the Hank Pym episode, the Doctor Strange episode, and then the Zombies episode. And I think I would go with Zombies for my favorite. Just because I'm kind of I'm kind of hardwired to like zombies anyway, but I also do like that that as I mentioned when our episode that aired, I, that that's one of my favorite things about zombie stories is like the randomness of who bands together and then who survives at the end. I just liked watching. It was a good pair up episode mm -hmm. for Scott Lang's head and Peter Parker and T'Challa. I think I got to go with episode one. Uh, I just I love Captain Carter, and that to me feels like the most traditionally comic booky of the concepts like a favorite what if thing in the comics was always like what if somebody else became spider-man instead of peter parker you know uh so i really like the concept that really kind of introduced the idea that they were going to do things in animation that were that they just could not do in live action um and you know more Haley atwell is always a good thing i think i'm going to join alec and say uh, Marvel zombies. Yeah, I just think there were so many bizarre moments in that episode uh, that they're really stacked up. So it's hard to it's hard to argue with the zombies episode as a favorite. And that is it for another episode of Marvel Standom. Thanks for watching, everybody. We will be back soon. Maybe not next week. Exploring everything the MCU multiverse has to offer. Make sure you hit that follow button. Follow us on Twitter at Marvel Standom. Follow our web home, Den of Geek, at Den of Geek US and at Den of Geek on Twitter. Go to our web home, denofgeek.com. Find all our Marvel coverage there, denofgeek.com slash Marvel. Did you know that we are also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts? Just in case you can't stand to look at us anymore, you can just listen to these as podcasts there. So thanks for watching. We'll see you real soon. I'll do you one better. Who's Gamora? I'll do you one better. Why is Gamora? What if Gamora? Gamora.